my friends. Welcome to Word Made Digital. I'm your host, Joanne LaFleur, and this is Season 5, Episode 3. Thank you so much for listening, for sharing, for subscribing, for posting, for rating, all the stuff you're doing to be amazing as part of this podcast community. I hope it's helpful to you. I hope you're learning a ton with us. If you haven't yet, I want you to join the Digital Church Facebook group. It's a group you can find on Facebook if you just search Digital Church. There's a link below in our show notes, of course. And it's a community of people who are all about sharing resources and job postings and ideas and thinking on technology and how digital is affecting uh, evangelism and discipleship. So if you are a church leader, a ministry person, you're interested in the stuff we talk about every week here on this podcast, we'd love for you to join the group. Okay, on this podcast episode, we have Justin Koo. If you've maybe heard of him as that Christian vlogger, but he's a YouTuber and he's describing himself as a digital missionary or a digital evangelist. So I want to dive into that episode. But before we do, I want to highlight that we are doing a series of of Word Me Digital tutorial videos. So another thing you can find on YouTube beyond just the podcast episodes, if you prefer to watch them, instead of just listen to the audio, you can see Justin and myself on our YouTube channel, but you can also get every week a tutorial where we're trying to give you as ministry leaders and churches and ministries helpful, practical, step-by-step content in how to do all kinds of things in this digital world. So check that out. You can find the link below. As always, thank you so much to the sponsors that are making this podcast possible. The Wycliffe College, uh, thank you so much for your partnership. WycliffeCollege.ca slash WordMadeDigital is a place you can go if you want to get some free swag. Now, if you don't know, Wycliffe is an evangelical seminary. It's a school of theology at the University of Toronto, and it's a school that I went to for my own master's in theology, but it's a place that I chose because of world-class faculty and these top scholars is just really robust academically. It's also super affordable because it's part of the University of Toronto and not a private institution. And beyond that, it's right in the heart of the city of Toronto in this brilliant old, uh, kind of feels like Harry Potter sort of campus. So if you're interested in exploring more around training for ministry and missions work, you're looking to grow in your own discipleship, go to wickliffecollege.ca slash digital. You can get some free swag. So why not um, connect with them there. Uh, I'd love to share more with you about why I think the the school is amazing. Also, thanks, of course, so much to our partners at Compassion Canada, who at this time of year are doing um, a lot of work to really get the word out about what's happening with vulnerable children around the world. I mean, let's be honest, this year has been different. It's been a crazy year, but it has all kinds of ripple effects out into the lives of the most poor people in the world. And so we uh, at Compassion and then the local churches that they partner with and we partner with around the world are doing work to combat the effects of COVID-19 and how it's trying uh, really to increase poverty around the world. But if you go to compassion.ca slash gifts, there's all kinds of ways that you can find fun, creative gifts that you can give to somebody that you know, that you love, who probably has a lot of stuff already, and you can give them a really memorable gift like clean drinking water, or maybe you want to buy them some animals or chickens or a goat, or maybe you want to buy school supplies or build a well or uh, give medical care, all kinds of things that you can do as a gift on behalf of someone in your life this holiday season compassion.ca slash gifts okay 
the go sorry not the host i am the host the guest today is justin koo and justin is a youtuber and he's previously known as that christian vlogger and uh, that's sort of how he grew into this but he left uh, his steady job to do youtube full-time and now he's um moving from that christian vlogger content into more things like interviewing atheists and lgbtq community and he's trying to open up dialogues and to position himself as a christian who is listening it's a fascinating conversation i hope you enjoy this conversation with justin koo Welcome to the Word Made Digital Podcast with Joanna LaFleur. You're listening to Season 5, sponsored by Compassion Canada and Wycliffe College. Word Made Digital brings you interviews with Christian creatives and communicators to inspire, challenge, and equip you in your own work. The church has the best news in the world, so we want to help you be the best communicators in the world. Here we go. Justin Koo. Justin Koo. Welcome to We're Made Digital. I'm so glad to have you on the podcast today. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. We've been, I've been trying to connect with you actually for a while. Um, and I'm super stoked to be able to sit here and have this conversation with you. Yeah, it's this, the, the digital friendship is becoming more real now. Uh, <laughs> now that we're not just following each other uh, online, we're actually having a conversation. So, hey, before we go too far though, Give us a little introduction to yourself for people who don't know you. What's the picture of your work and your life? Yeah, so I've been doing the kind of content creation, internet world type stuff for, I don't know, it's hard for me to measure, maybe four or five years or so. Uh, My background is in evangelism. Uh, I was a professional evangelist um, for a number of years. Eventually got an invitation to teach at a small Bible college in Philadelphia. And while I was there, met a young man by the by the name of Michael Troynoski the third. And the reason why this is an important person in my life is because <laughs> he was the first person that like changed my mind about social media ministry huh. kind of a thing. He actually became a Christian through YouTube, and wow. that was the first I'd ever heard of that. I'd you know we go around the country doing evangelistic crusade type things. You've, you know, door-to-door ministry or whatever. Like there's, I mean, there's a lot of different types of ministry that one could do. And at the time I'm putting in a lot of work to teach a class of 11 students. Uh, I'm putting in a lot of work when I get invitations to preach at churches that are, you know, 100 or 200 people large, you know, and and it was it's all worth it because it's a model of ministry that we understand. But then here's this flip side is like, oh, what if I took the same content adapted it for the internet and theoretically could reach not 11 students, not a hundred church members, but theoretically hundreds, if not thousands more. And so, uh, I started doing the YouTube thing as an after work kind of a project about a year into it really felt like God was saying like, lean into this, go all in. And so 10 months after I started the channel, decided to take a huge risk with the blessing of my wife, uh, quit my job. We moved across the country wow. uh, to the Pacific Northwest where I live right now. And we've been kind of chasing this thing down ever since. And so full-time content creation uh, since that moment. And so I do YouTube, I do podcasting, uh, I do a lot of consulting and content creation for churches, nonprofits, local businesses, things like that. And and yeah, it's, it's, it's one of the things where I feel more 
convinced that this is necessary for the church than I did when I first started. And obviously, I was very convinced when I first started because I was willing to quit my job to do it. But uh, now, with hindsight, like, yes, this was the right choice Mm -hmm. with COVID. uh, In in the still present right now, we see, oh, yeah, we definitely need uh, digital communicators, digital missionaries, whatever terminology we prefer. Um, This is what the church needs right now. Wow. Well, okay. So you've, there's so much to unpack in just what you said. Uh, so I'm sure. gonna, I want to pull it a few of those threads over the conversation, but let's start with you quit your job. Uh, when you quit your job, um, did you have a lot of followers? Was there already some money coming in for you? How did you pay your rent? Yeah. All, all <laughs> good did questions. Decide, how did, yeah, I guess, how did you decide that it was time to make the leap? Cause there's always that tension point of like, stay with the old thing, but the new thing won't grow if you don't take the leap. But how did you know it was that moment? Yeah. Um, I guess that, so to answer all of your questions, no, I didn't have a, an income. I didn't have a large audience space. I didn't have any of the, the kinds of signs that most people would want before like diving in. Uh, the short answer is I just like, honestly, I just really felt like this was what God was calling me to mm-hmm. do. And so yeah. it was more a matter of faithfulness than it was of uh, what was convenient or what was maybe even a business, a smart business decision. At the time, like I said, I'd been doing YouTube for about 10 months and I think I had maybe 3,000 subscribers. It wasn't anything large. I think average videos were, like a good video at that time was breaking 100 views. (laughs) So it was not like something that I was like making money off of. I wasn't rich. In fact, the first 12-month period when I, um, went f- quote unquote full time. Uh, I, I think the first 12 months I had earned a total income of about 20 grand, which mm-hmm. was through affiliates, which was through Patreon, which was through sponsorships, um, you know, all these different things. But the flip side was I spent $18,000 building things, purchasing a- equipment and gear and educational courses and everything else like that. So 12 months of work over a hundred videos, net net earnings of two grand. And so it was not a financial decision. It was the kind of thing that, uh, you know, when I came home and told my wife that, you know, I really felt like God was calling me to go all in, like reading between the lines, it's all right, Emily, you're the one paying the bills. Right. And uh, this was just something that, you know, my wife is so supportive um, she believed in, I guess, in me, in God, in the vision, in the entire thing. And uh, so it was just, it really was just a leap of faith. And in fact, actually at the time, um, maybe about a month or two before I went uh, all, all in, uh, I was still working on an old computer from like college days. It was not working for me. So I had to do like a GoFundMe to to get a computer that actually could even edit the videos that I was working on. Because uh, at the time, partially because I didn't, I've never taken courses on video editing or any of these kinds of things, and also partially because of the limitations of my hardware, I was averaging probably about 20 hours per video in writing, wow. filming, editing, the whole thing. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it was just, there was a, like a perfect storm of everything not being in my favor, aside from like really feeling that this was what God wanted me to do. Wow. I mean, I love this story because... Uh First of all, that like it's all, it's actually not about the money, very clearly. <laughs> it's not about the it, money. It, it certainly is not uh, about the money. I, it, if it was about the money, we would have quit a long time ago. Oh, man. But, but I'm hearing this heart of, um, 
faithfulness and just just seeing of catching a vision for what could be possible online, which I think now as we are rounding out the end of a 2020 weird COVID year that no one expected, it feels less crazy now to talk about these kind of things. But when you did this, like, I don't know what your oh, mom yeah, even, or your dad said, but like, I can't, yeah, I even in that was January and February of this month. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Even in January and February of this month, people thought I was still crazy when I would tell this part of my story wow. with COVID. Like I said, it's yeah. People are like, okay, I can kind of see why this, like you could, you had this kind of a vision of what was important. Um, yeah. You know, surprisingly, I had a lot of support from my community, even down mm-hmm. to like my former employer was like, yeah, like, here's our blessing. Go do it. Kind of a thing. Wow. Um, yeah. I remember calling my parents and saying, Hey, am I off my rocker? Like, am I just crazy <laughs> right now? And I shared kind of the vision of it. I, I shared like, you know what? We're not going to just, I guess we are going all in, but we're not, I'm not unwilling to kind of turn around and, and, and go back to what I was doing. I, I basically said, give me 12 months to say, mm. see, is, is this really doable? Is this valuable or not? Maybe I find out after 12 months that, uh, you know, it, it just it, it isn't feasible. It's not sustainable, all of those things. Um, and so when I talked to my wife, when I talked to my parents about kind of what I was hoping for is to give me a 12-month runway. Not that at the end of 12 months, everything's going to be working on. I'm going to be making a full-time income, but at least let me get to the point where it would be foolish to not continue. Right. Uh, I think at the end of 12 months, I could say, oh, for sure, this is not going to work. <laughs> or for sure, there's promise and hope here. And yeah. one of those two outcomes was going to happen. And, you know, clearly there was enough promise that we have continued since. No, that's where I'm teasing you about the dentist father. My dad's an engineer. And so, uh, yeah. you know, I can only imagine certain voices, you know, are saying like, they don't understand. This is a very new thing that may be risk adverse. Um, but I love that, that the community, and I think too, that's something for people to pay attention to as a lesson out of this conversation is like, are the people like sometimes people take a martyr syndrome too far? Like if all the people around right. you who love you are saying this is a bad idea, maybe they know you and it's a bad idea. <laughs> Every once in a while, yeah, you don't listen to them. But but I love that you had, especially with your partner, like you're with your wife. If your wife is saying mm-hmm. we're going to do this, I mean, going against you know that relationship to go and pursue your dream of some digital media content. Probably not a good idea. <laughs> no, def- definitely, definitely not recommended. And and for those who aren't watching the video version of this, and you can't tell through my 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 speech, uh, I'm I'm Asian, and so there's like an added layer of complexity mm-hmm. of honor and um, you know bringing respect to your family and what's kind of you know ex- expected from you as a firstborn male. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mom's a teacher, my dad's a dentist, and so there's a high expectation when it comes to educational responsibility, professional capacity, uh, all of these things. And you know, I guess this is kind of why I bounce things off my parents because usually when I've taken kind of these larger faith steps, they've actually pushed back, and th- that's kind of what I was hoping for and expecting. Uh, not because if they said no, then I wouldn't do it, but more so because every time I come up with an idea, they push back, not for the sake of just saying no for the sake of saying no, but actually playing like the devil's advocate to cause me to think more holistically about whatever decision I'm about to make. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of like, dad, please like shoot this idea down if it doesn't have merit, um, because I want to make an informed decision. I want to make a 
good decision. And, you know, to their credit in 2015, you know, five years before, you know, digital communication really uh, is needed in the church space, they saw the vision of what I was pointing towards. They saw the impact that could be had. Um, and so wow. I, I guess I got their blessing. I got That's my wife's awesome. blessing and, and we went forward. Yeah. So you started uh, the thing, the brand originally was that Christian blogger. Um, talk to me what, what you learned. And, and then since then you've changed um, approaches, but t- tell me a little bit yeah. about what you learned from being that quote unquote, that Christian blogger. Um, yeah, yeah. Vlogger. Sorry. T- just tell us, tell us about that journey and then we'll jump into what you're working on now. For sure. I think one of the things I learned is that, um, choosing a good name really makes a difference. Mm. Um, this was in the era of Casey Neistat, like daily vlogging. And so vlogging was was like the thing on YouTube, it felt like. At least it was in the circles that I trafficked in. Um, and so I woke up every morning uh, watching the latest vlog and just being inspired by his work ethic and his drive and his creativity. And over time, I, I started to to see myself kind of echoing these Casey-isms. And I'm sorry for anyone who doesn't know who Casey Neistat is. He is a YouTuber who, who kind of brought filmmaking to this idea of vlogging, which is like video logging your day. Um, and it was just compelling. It was it was just an, an amazing thing. And I found myself echoing things that he would say, uh, ideas and beliefs that he had. They started to become part of my vernacular. And I'm like, holy, like, like this is crazy because he's not like an explicitly religious person, yet I feel like I'm a member of his church or his cult mm-hmm. in the sense that like his beliefs are becoming my beliefs, the things that he's doing, I'm wanting to do. And I'm realizing do I'm you being have evangelized by Casey Nice. I did actually. I bought an electric skateboard. I had the selfie stick, like everything. About, I got a drone. Like I was all in. I was one of those fanboys, like yeah, unashamed man. fanboy of Casey Neistat. Well, he inspired you. And so I started to realize. Doing. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm like, man, I want to be like Casey. Yeah. And I realized, like, you know what? Like he's not trying to force a worldview down my throat, but it's happening. Mm. And so I started to make the connection between Casey and this student of mine. If I'm wanting to have an impact on young people, like it seems like this is an incredible way to do it. And so uh, I, I remember going to the internet just thinking, are there even any Christian YouTubers? Are there Christian vloggers? And like I remember doing as much searching as I knew how to do at the time. And the answer was a resounding no. Mm. I think there were quite literally, I, I did a video early on, like 10 of my favorite Christian YouTubers. And I was really struggling to find 10 to make that list. I think I had to throw like Dave Ramsey in as a quote unquote Christian YouTuber. Cause like, I guess he's a Christian YouTuber. He has video clips, but it's, that's not <laughs> his thing. He's not about faith. He's about money. But I threw it in there just because I couldn't find 10 people. Wow. And uh, so I just like, all right, I'll do it. Uh, I'll, I'll give it a shot. And, you know, that name was probably uh, how I got the most, I guess, awareness. I think mm. a lot of people at that time were searching for Christian vloggers. Okay. And even though maybe I wasn't the most creative and the best at storytelling or the the, the wisest voice per se, um, that name mattered a lot. And so you're asking, what's what did I learn about it? It's like, a name is really important. Marketing really matters. Um, it, later on, it got me into kind of a bind in that it I felt as though it limited the kind of content that I was I was able to create. And so this is kind of what led me to uh, the rebranding phase and refocusing of my content. But for, for the first several years, 
um, that Christian vlogger was what I did. I think I've probably uploaded, I don't know how 100% accurate, there's maybe over 300 videos under that entity. Okay. Um, and it was great. It was working. I think the first year we had reached over 10,000 subscribers. You know, we hit 50 very quickly. Um, we've since passed the hundred thousand mark. It's, it's just been this thing that's, it's, it's worked and it's been really fun to connect with people all over the world as a result of communicating digitally. Okay. So under that Christian vlogger, just for people who haven't seen your content, what kinds of content was it? Was it like how to read your Bible or was it like why Jesus is believable or like what kind of con or was it like here, come hang out with me and my wife at the grocery store? Like what, what kind right, of content right. were you creating in that first, uh, you know, to get to 10,000, what, what, what kind sure. of content was that? Initially, it was like the come hang out with my wife. We went out to the the pumpkin patch and filmed our experience. And we went, you know, like it was a vlog in, in, in the traditional sense of like, here's a day of my life. Um, and because I had no skills in this area, this is what would take me 20 hours to edit. Just like I didn't know how to do this. Yeah. And then I started to do a few Q&A videos. I've done like a few tips and tricks videos. And I started to realize, oh, how to read your Bible, 10 tips on how to read your Bible is a heck of a lot easier for me with my skill set to create than to try and do this artistic thing. Um, my experience was in preaching. My experience was in giving Bible studies and teaching in a classroom. And so this was a much more natural and easy thing to do. And so very quickly, this was the kind of content that I would create. It was the Q&A video. It was the how-to video. It was the, what does the Bible say about this video? Very, very um uh, you know, call and response kind of a thing, which made a lot of sense because early on in my Christian experience, one of the most valuable relationships that I had was a friend of mine when I was kind of making this decision to follow Jesus. When we would do a Bible study, we'd, you know, do a, whatever standard Bible study, but then we'd, he would just simply say, all right, any questions? And this was the fun part for me was trying to see how does faith apply to my life? And so we would oftentimes for two, three hours, just throw questions. My friends and I would ask questions of this mentor mm -hmm. figure of ours, and he would just come and share Bible verses with us. And I was like, my goodness, the Bible does speak about the things that I care about. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of what that Christian blogger ended up being. It was, what are the questions that young people have about faith? Uh, how do I pray? What's my purpose? Is God real? How do I know that I can trust the Bible? Things like that. Yeah. And uh, it was great. It was it it, it worked with what uh, YouTube was really uh, focusing on on at the time, which was SEO. Like um, really dominating in SEO was very valuable. Like literally, uh, for channel like growth the at that things time. that people are searching for by keyword. You wanted to make a video, right. or at least you wanted the con the the wording on your video, the title of your video. Uh, to be findable, searchable. Exactly, exactly. And and, and for a, a new channel, this is the only way really to grow, or at least it was the primary way to grow at that time because who cares about me and my wife running around Philadelphia and filming things, especially if I'm not very good at that storytelling. Um, but if people are looking for questions or looking for answers to questions, this makes a lot of sense. And And I still think that this is like a really great entry point for a lot of churches and things like that, if you're trying to get out there on the internet, is just realize, you know, the questions that people have when they come to faith, they're kind of universal. Mm. Um, the questions that uh, that people have when they're visiting your church for the first time, these are kind of universal questions. And uh, so, this is a great space for you to kind of carve out a little bit of real estate on the internet. Um, but, you know, like I said, it, it started to box me into what I was able to create. 
Um, at the time, there was almost no one doing this type of material, this uh, SEO-based, search engine optimization-based uh, videos. Um, but in the years to come, let's say three or four years down the line, like everyone was doing it. It seemed like anyone who was a Christian YouTuber seemed to be doing this type of content. And I started to realize there's no, there's never really, a, there's not much of a need uh, for what I was doing as much in the sense that there's a lot of other people trying to s- serve this, the same community. And then I started to think about like, what was my calling as uh, a Christian communicator? Um, and I started to think more about that. And I realized I, I don't really feel called or led to speak to the church per se. I'm happy to preach if I'm invited to, I'm happy to give a Bible study if that's what I'm called to do. But my heart is much more of the heart of, let's say, an evangelist than a pastor. I'm much more interested in talking to secular people or unchurched people Mm. uh, or people who have left a church than I am those who are singing in the choir, for example. And so I realized that atheists really aren't aren't searching for five tips on how to have a better prayer life. Um, You know, agnostics really couldn't care less about what does the Bible say about yoga (laughs) <laughs> or, you know, what like these types of <laughs> videos not, that I was creating. It's not a question like, that they're asking. <laughs> not in the least bit. Yeah. And so it was okay. And and even then, even if they were interested in some of the subjects I was talking about, they probably would not click on a channel called That Christian Vlogger. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't seem to make sense. And so it, it was kind of the beginning of trying to see, okay, how do I take my mission a little bit more seriously and be a little bit more intentional about reaching unchurched and non-religious or at least non-Christian people? Um, and that's kind of what has led me to, I guess, the kind of phase that I'm in right now. Um, and, you know, there was a lot of risk involved with that. I had a brand that was pretty well uh, known in my little niche. It was successful. It was growing and all these things. But I really felt it, it was, again, out of line with my calling and my mission. And so the result was I had a fork in the road. Do I keep doing what I know is working and is maybe even on the safer side of the spectrum? Mm-hmm. Or do I risk it all and make a massive pivot, uh, potentially lose a lot of my following and support that I had and pursue what I think that God has really called me to do? Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, again, like another risk. So you aren't so risk adverse, obviously. You you like you like the challenge, but I think that it's a lesson too. In a digital world, you have to be moving constantly. Um, we got to do stuff until it's not working anymore, and then make a change and try something new. We can't be afraid. And actually, I think that um, you know, even like a Casey Neistat, he he's re- every once in a while he reinvents himself or reinvents the kind of content he's creating. Um, and some people, I guess, don't come with you, but I think I would imagine a lot of people do in the end come with you to a new thing because they've already built trust. Yeah, I, I think so. It, it's hard to know because, you know, you might have, let's call it a hundred videos under one brand, a hundred views under one brand and on the next van, brand you have 90. So you might think, oh, I only lost 10%, but you don't know if those 90 were watching you before, or if yeah. there are 90 brand new people who just happen to be, you know, really excited about what you're doing now. So I don't know how many have made the crossover. Um, but you know, again, that's not like my primary, uh, rubric of, am I, is it working or not? You know, the metrics and the vanity, uh, numbers while being cool and all, isn't like, isn't really what I'm about. Um, 
it really does come down to like, am I being as faithful to the calling that I believe God has put on my life as possible? And, and if I am, then I'm happy. And, and if I'm maybe still in that in-between space, that's where I'm working towards. So you have this, this thing that you're doing right now. It's a, it's, it's this logo in a corner, but it's also this shirt uh, that I would like. Uh, I got to get me one of these. But, oh, yeah. But the phrase, yeah. the phrase, I'm listening. That feels like a mm-hmm. major part of the shift for you. Like the, 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 the idea behind I'm listening. Um, tell us, tell us why the, why listening. And then I want to know more about what you're, what you're hearing when you listen. For sure. So, uh, all, very few people would accuse the church of being great listeners. <laughs> when you think of a religious figure, right? You're not thinking you of someone that. who's just sitting there nodding their head saying, oh yeah, tell me more. Um, unfortunately, the stereotype within like a Christian figure is someone on a pulpit or a so- or quite literally like a soapbox or on the bus or on the street corner, maybe quite literally with a megaphone shouting really um, maybe culturally insensitive things to say it kindly. Um, it's, it's a lot of shouting and condemnation. It's a lot of maybe passion, but is often interpreted as angry. You know, like if you talk to non-Christians and ask them, like, what is your opinion on people of faith? I don't know that the adjectives that they use are the ones that we would ascribe to ourselves. Mm. Like we want to be known as, as generous and patient and kind and welcoming and, you know, all of these things, like fruits of the spirit kind of language, right? But I think the way that the world oftentimes perceives Christianity is the exact opposite of that. Dogmatic, mm-hmm. close-minded, bigoted, homophobic, and, and all of these other racist, like, like, I mean, the narrative is just so far apart. Wow. And yeah. I think a lot of that comes down to be, uh, because they because we're really, we really aren't listening to people. I'm, if I'm honest, um, how many pastors make it a regular part of their day-to-day experience to talk to their people outside of their, their church? I don't know that that's a common thing. I have a lot of friends who are pastors and this isn't a knock on them, but a lot of them are kind of inundated with board meetings and visitations and sermon prepping that their world kind of becomes an echo chamber. Mm -hmm. And there's very few opportunities to bounce their ideas, if not at least the rhetoric and how we communicate our ideas off of the very kinds of people that we're trying to reach. And, um, and so I started to see this more and more like there's social media, unfortunately, hasn't done a great job in uniting people. We see this more strongly in 2020 than any year before, but social media divides us, whether that's Republican versus Democrat, that's atheist versus Christian, that's straight versus gay, that's white versus black. It seems as though that the divide is only growing. And I think the reason why is because a lot of people have either figured out how to make social media work or are stumbling along some of the best practices. And a lot of the best practices revolve around know your target market and speak directly to them. So if I am a church person, I'm speaking Christian language to Christian people. If I am far left on the political spectrum, I recognize that this is the world that you're thinking about. When you see the world and its problems, you're thinking about it in this way. When you think of its solutions, these are the things that come to mind. So I need to tell you, 
like great communicators don't convince anyone of anything. Great communicators uh, help. help uh, what was, what was the, uh, the idea? Is that great communicators just help you to b- realize what you already believe. You, you, you're not actually changing anyone's mind. You're just kind of reaching down into their heart, into their soul, and pulling something to the surface. Mm. And and so this is we've learned this, but it, the result of it is a greater divide. And so when I think about what does the world need, when I think about what does my little community need, it needs the ability to process its own worldview with the other, because then we become minimally more informed and more convinced that we're right. Or maybe in the process we realize, oh, even if our ideas are right, the way we communicate them are incredibly offensive and damaging, like actually damaging. Or maybe we even learn, hey, maybe some of our ideas aren't all that good and we should like level up. Uh, And so the way that we solve this is by exposing ourselves to other people. And I've started to realize that there's kind of like a a roundabout benefit to being willing to listen to someone else is that as you listen, that other person actually begins to trust you and your opinions more. Mm -hmm. If you ask someone how their day was, they're 10 times more likely to after sharing how their day was, to turn around and ask you how your day was. And so every time you listen, it it's inadvertently, and this, this should never be the motivation, right? But it's inadvertently an invitation for you to speak. Mm. And I think of like listening is the currency of the current, like is the currency of uh, trust. If you want to reach people, you need to listen to them. I, I, I firmly believe this. And we see this in scripture all the time, like the slow to speak, quick to listen kind of uh, idea. Grandma said you have two ears and one mouth. You should listen twice as much kind of a thing. Like everyone is completely flooded with marketing messages, uh, telling you what you should buy, telling you what you should believe, telling you how you should live and what you should fear and what you should value. That. When it comes to religion, I think that they're really tired of hearing the religious rhetoric over and over and over. And so, so many people, if they're not about it, they start to tune out and it just becomes noise. Mm-hmm. So when you sit in a space and they know you to be a particular person of faith or having a religious pers- uh, a political perspective or whatever, and you instead of taking the opportunity to preach, you just ask a, sto- a question invite them to tell their story and truly listen, not listen for the sake of then talking, but listen for the sake of understanding and connecting. I think a lot of people at a very like core level, they recognize it as different. Hmm. Like, whoa, why are you asking me a question? Like, why are you giving me space? And this is what I found when I give my platform and my space uh, over to uh, an atheist uh, on my channel, the opportunity to tell me all the reasons why he's not a Christian and why he he thinks Christianity is stupid or this or that or the other. One, minimally, he's surprised. Like, what in the world is happening? But also, trust is built there. Why are you giving me a platform? Is that what you mean? Like, Absolutely. Absolutely. He's he's surprised you want to hear what he has to say. Yeah, so so this is... uh, So early on in my experience, I had an atheist kind of troll. Um... making some really nasty videos about me, calling me all kinds of names, 
uh, on the internet. His, his, his YouTube channel was called The Raging Atheist. So you can imagine the kind of content <laughs> that he's creating. It's very angry. It's very raging. It's very, you know, all these things. I come to find out he's made videos about me calling me all kinds of names. And like the idea, the, the response is often like, well, what do I do about this, right? We're part of the same kind of Christian communicators, Facebook group. And the typical responses are block him, ignore him, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. Like it, it's generally like distance yourself. Um, and I understand why that's valuable. And I understand why that's important at times. But in this specific moment, I chose not to do that. Rather than making a clapback video where I tell him why he's wrong and he's all these things and pointing out the flaws in his worldview, I just simply said, hey, thanks for listening, man. Thanks for taking the time to create content. I really appreciate like the perspective that you're bringing. I'd love to hang out with you and, and get to know you a little bit more. And uh, his response was like, wow, like you're the first pr- Christian to actually respond to me. And I get why that's the case, because mm-hmm. uh, if you look back on his history of videos at that time, there was a common theme, and it was that he was making really angry videos about young Christian women who were out there on the internet talking about their faith, and he was calling them all kinds of stupid names and this and this and this. It's like, yeah, if I'm a 15-year-old girl, I'm not responding to you, dude. Like, this is, there's no way I'm engaging. Yeah, it's a bit aggressive. He literally would tell me, <laughs> it's super aggressive. Super girl, he literally young girl, told me yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. He, he literally told me that he realized one day that he was only attacking girls and wanted to attack a guy. So he types in Christian men onto the YouTube search bar and I come up. And so like the next day he makes a video attacking me. Like he doesn't know who I am. He has no <laughs> clue about what my life is about. He just attacks. This was the beginning of uh, a multiple year friendship. And like, there's a long, I've told the story in, in other places. So if you're curious about the details of it, like you can check it out in other, other places, but long story short, Maybe two years later, I fly out to Michigan to hang out with a guy. We spent an entire day together. My wife comes with me, get to meet his daughter, this entire thing. And like, we have this beautiful moment of connecting and collaborating. We do videos on his channel, videos on mine. And this was actually episode one of this new direction, the I'm listening show. Hmm. And uh, it was awesome. It was such a cool experience to see what was possible when you choose to listen and value someone else rather than just view them as a political opponent, to to view them as an enemy of your content or whatever the case is. At the end of the day, we spent maybe 12, 13, 14 hours uh, that day, I think. Um, He told me something that stuck with me. He says, Justin, thank you so much for coming out here. He Mm -hmm. says, I feel like I've made a friend for life. Wow. Which is a really different tone from like the raging atheist attacks that Christian vlogger, right? It's very different. And and I realized that this was what I wanted more of. Wow. The ability to have truly not just acquaintances, not just collaborative, collaborative what's the word? How do I say that? Collaborative, uh, you know, partnerships, but to have tr- genuine friendships with people from all walks of life. Mm-hmm. Uh, where we can have these heated discussions and important discussions about what matters in life and and all of this, but at the end of the day, to know that we truly care about each other. Right. Um, the, that's what I wanted more of. The friendship that, is not to convert someone. It's to be friends right. and to learn from one another. Right. Because if if we're only there to convert someone, is that true love? Hmm. Right. Um, love is putting someone else ahead. Like, as far as I understand, love is to put someone else ahead of you with no expectation of recourse, no expectation of what you gain from it. Like this is what's demonstrated on the cross. Jesus goes to the cross. He's, we show the the length at which he's willing to go to value the relationship with no guarantee that we reciprocate. Yeah. And so 
it was a, a kind of the opening of a door for me, realizing that there's a different way to to communicate with people, and that listening actually gets me further down that road than preaching a sermon could. Wow. And, um, you know, you're talking about this atheist friend of yours, but another group, uh, or another topic I should say that you talk a lot about is LGBTQ, uh, issues, pain, history with the church. Um, Mm -hmm. could you, what's something, I mean, there's so much to say people can watch your videos, but, but for you as a Christian, as a person of faith, what are, what are some of the things that you have learned in these discussions? Or in the comment, whether, yeah. you know, wh- what is it that you're, that you're hearing loud and clear, um, through these conversations? Yeah, I think perhaps the loudest thing that I'm hearing is that the pain and the trauma that gay people have experienced at the hands of the church is very real. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's and it's not even like uh, an isolated incident. It's almost without exception to queer people um, that they have re- received some serious trauma from the church. Um, and you know, I love the church. Listen, I, I, I'm like I've dedicated my life to to serving Jesus and following Jesus and like all of this. And yet, I think it's important for us to be able to realize these things. You know, the Christian. Uh, story is not one without its blemishes. Uh, you know, there have been entire, you know, centuries where we have been waging unfair wars and persecuted people and murdered people. Like, it's just, you'd be foolish to say that we are without fault. Yeah. And as much as I want to believe that that is a past tense thing and that we're better now, like here in America, you don't have to look very far into the past to realize that it was largely religious folk who were the proponents of slavery, for example. You don't have to look very far into the past to see these types of uh, blemishes on our record. And one of the present tense uh, blemishes, to put it very lightly, is how we are treating gay people. Mm-hmm. Um, now, let me let me back up and, and for context, because I don't know how comfortable or uncomfortable that makes you or your listeners feel. Listen, I I affirm a traditional sex uh, ethic. I affirm the quote-unquote biblical model of marriage. I believe that sex is something that's meant by design to be something between a man and a woman in a long-term committed relationship that we could call marriage if we wanted to. Um, I believe in a lot of the things that I think most Christians believe when it comes to the issue of homosexuality and its relationship to sin. And... While I believe all of that, I still also realize that we've done a lot of harm. Mm. Um, and why is this important to me? Um, because it's important to Jesus, right? Mm, yeah. um, we like to think that because we sin differently than gay people, that somehow Jesus maybe looks at us in a more favorable light than our, our queer friends. But I don't think that that's really the case, right? You know, like of the seven deadly sins... <laughs> oddly absent is homosexuality and present is gluttony. You know, <laughs> imagine if we treated uh, people who are overweight and which is in here in America is easily enough of us, you know, yeah. we treated them the way that we treat gay people. Like that would be wild. So why the double standard? Why so much grace given to mm-hmm. people who let's say are uh, telling white lies 
who overeat, who maybe are impatient, who fill in the blank, right? All these kind of more vanilla type of sins. But when it comes to uh, sexuality, we place such an undue emphasis on it, in my opinion. Jesus sees us all the same. Uh, The Bible makes it clear that we've all fallen short, right? And even while we've fallen short, the very impulse and the very heart of our God is to seek us out. Mm, Yeah. That even when we fall short, his heart moves towards us, not pushes us away. And I don't see that modeled well, or at least not consistently, when it comes to how the church interacts with gay people. Uh, We are more inclined to cut people off under the guise of preaching the truth in love when it comes to gay people than it is to gluttons or divorcees or fill in the blank. But isn't, isn't um, why the is it that the church further than that, that, that we would mm-hmm. consider it sin. Isn't that more the issue that there's something we're saying is wrong? Um, because it's that in itself is offensive. Uh, sure. You know, <laughs> so it's like, okay, you love me, but you inherently think who I am or what I do is wrong. I mean, that's where it feels like the place where we, um, have trouble building bridges. So not only have we hurt them, uh, but now also uh, it's hard to come back together on the other side. You know, if we want to reconcile, because for most Christians, we're still saying, but also still, this isn't okay. <laughs> it's challenging. Yes. And, and, and this is a very challenging thing. Uh, and something that I'm admittedly growing in and trying to wrap my mind around. How do I... Yeah. Um, how do I live faithfully to what I believe the text says in calling sin by its right name or whatever, and live out the very heart of Jesus in how I treat people? Mm-hmm. I would say minimally one story jumps to my mind. And I know that you're not necessarily asking for my advice on it, so no, I good. apologize no, for volunteering good. it. But it's, it's the story of the woman caught in adultery. Clearly, it's adultery. It's that's literally how we describe the story, right? And yet, the very first thing that Jesus says to this woman is, neither do I condemn thee. Before saying, go and sin no more. Mm-hmm. Um, even when guilty, no condemnation. I think that's wild. <laughs> like, even when you're caught in the act, no condemnation from Jesus. Mm. Um, condemnation doesn't come from Jesus, it seems as though, right? Condemnation comes from the enemy. So why is why is it that when it comes to the actual sin of gay sex, is the church the loudest when it comes to condemnation? What would it look like if we actually modeled Jesus in these moments in saying, no, we don't condemn you? But then later at, at the point in which trust and relationship is developed, maybe we can in a year's time or whatever, figure out how to have the conversation around go and sin no more. Sure. Like I'm still about that, but most gay people don't hear the first part of the sermon. They only hear the second part, which is the go and sin no more. You're doing these terrible things, but it's, it's even worse than just like what you're doing is sinful. It like the language around it is much worse than that. Mm. So I've spent a lot of time spending uh, conversating, uh, having conversations with people who are who are gay and had some experience in the church. One person who this episode will come out next month on my channel, Bridget Eileen, the traveling nun on Twitter, fantastic person. You need to follow on Twitter if you're not following her. 
She is a queer, uh, or I guess she identifies as lesbian, uh, and she's in a queer platonic relationship, which means that she has chosen to be celibate, um, just as her approach to life and faith and everything else. The rhetoric that she heard growing up in the church wasn't just that gay sex was a sin, but it was much worse that if you are gay, that you're an abomination. Mm -hmm. The passages where it talks about God making some vessels for destruction was directly and unapologetically and Mm -hmm. emphatically applied to people with same-sex attraction. So, her growing up as an 11-year-old, 12-year-old, 13-year-old, realizing that she's same-sex attracted, hears this rhetoric from the church that causes her to believe that God has literally created her for the purpose of destroying her. This is not something that's uh, one-off here. My mm-hmm. friend Matthias tells me stories of one of his close friends who was, uh, who was gay, and when his church found out, they'd take him to the basement and strap e- electric, uh, what are they called? Uh, uh, attach a little uh, probe or what are probes, uh, stickers Electro? or whatever to his hands and his arms. Yeah. Yeah, electrodes, that's what I'm looking for. And literally would show him pictures of gay men and when that happened would electrocute him as an attempt to drive out this impulse towards same-sex attraction. Like I've heard of many stories of where the priest of the church or the father would take them down to the basement and quote-unquote beat the gay out of a kid. Like the way we have gone about uh, trying to navigate same-sex attraction in in the church space has been nothing short of downright abusive. And it makes a lot of sense to me why queer people want nothing to do with Jesus. Because why would they? When they're told that you are worthless, that you are literally here just to be destroyed, that who you are down to the core is this abomination before God. Like, And as a result, I'm going to literally abuse you physically, mentally, spiritually, socially. Like, All these, like, I get why they leave the church. And it just happens to be that in the last hundred years, the world said, yeah, that's okay. Because gay people are are all of those things. Mm -hmm. But now in 2020, the world has evolved to this place that's saying, no, even if you're gay, your life still matters. Which the church should have been the first one to say that. Because we are the ones that realize that every human being carries the Imago Dei. Every single human being is created in the image of God maybe somewhat imperfectly, right? Like we're not, no one is perfect save Jesus, but every human being is created in God's image. So it should have been the church that said, you matter. Like your life is valuable. Like there's a calling and a purpose upon your soul. Like, and we want to do life with you because you matter. Yeah. It should have been the church that was the first one to say these things. Well, and, the- and unfortunately, the world says it and the church says, no, yeah. you don't matter. Yeah. But, and in the same, in the same with, you know, where we came to in the beginning of the conversation or where we started the conversation and, you know, as we're coming to the end of the conversation, this idea of like the church should have been the first to love uh, a queer person. And the, you know, I wish, and that's where this whole thing that I do and probably part of what you do is we should have been the first to do digital. I mean, is this, as in we should, yeah. we should be leading the way in 
in reaching out and thinking of creative ways to use new tools and technologies to communicate. What, what I often say on this podcast is the church doesn't just have good news. We have the best news in the world. So we should be the best communicators in the world. And that includes like figuring out how to sound like we love people and not like a bunch of jerks uh, or even worse. And, and also actually loving people. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> not just sounding like we love people, yeah. but actually loving people. Yeah. Well, and sometimes we need to have our mouth do it before our, our heart follows, but you're right. It really, it, we but, have to love. But, but this is, this is why I, this is why I'm so convinced about the value of listening, right? Everyone who's, who knows what they're talking about when it comes to communication knows that excellent communicators are great listeners mm-hmm. first, because otherwise, how do you know what to communicate? How do you know how to contextualize your message? If not first listening to who your audience is. Yeah understanding their pain points, understanding what they're looking for in life and how you can actually service them, right? If you're selling a product, but you've never done any market research, your product's not going to get off the shelf, right? Like if you have a seminar that you're wanting to sell, but you've never actually talked to your students to hear about their pain, like you are never going to get far if you're not listening to people. And and when it comes to this, and when it comes to reaching people in the world, this is why, again, the focus of the show is I'm listening, slow to speak, quick to listen. It's this idea of if I want to reach the world, I actually have to be able to earn trust first. I have to be willing to spend time with them. It's no surprise to me that Jesus was often accused of being a drunkard, uh, of being a glutton, of being a literally like this was the, the slander of the day was he was a quote unquote friend of sinners. He was in the spaces and in the uh, in proximity with quote unquote sinners, with the very people that the Jewish society said get away from, tax collectors, prostitutes, just women. Like they have no standing, no value in society. Jesus, is like, no, I'm all about that. I'm spent. These are my homies. These are who I'm spending time with. Yeah. And so when it comes to like creating content on the internet, like here's where I see the next evolution of things taking place: digital communication. The church is catching up to the idea of digital communication in part because of what you do on your show here and the, the efforts of many of other, uh, other of our colleagues and friends. And it's great and I value it, but we're still only going so far. We're, now we've realized that you know a microphone in a church actually amplifies your voice. Like physically, it amplifies your voice. Mm-hmm. Great. We've come to the realization that now social media also amplifies your voice. And so we've started to, to literally do the exact same thing live stream our sermons, or maybe minimally, instead of doing a sermon version, we do the same content direct to camera. Cool. Great. There's a space for it. Do it. I've done it for many years. It's valuable. And yet it still falls short of the true mission of the church. In my, in my opinion, the mission of the church is to seek and to save the lost is to go out into the world, making disciples. It's, it's, it's to reach people who aren't already convinced that we're right. And yet what percentage, if we had to estimate, of content that comes from a church, whether it's from a pulpit or from any social media channel, what percentage of content is geared towards people who are already religious, if not actually Christian in orientation? Yeah. Like, My guess, we, I'll be, I'm willing to ta- put a number a, on it. Who are we talking to? Are we in an uh, echo chamber just talking to ourselves? Right. Yeah. My, my estimation is probably over 90% of our content, if not more, is reaching the choir. And I get it. There's a point in discipleship. It's valuable. Cool. I'm not knocking it. I'm just simply pointing out that the the, the amount of time that we spend in- with believers versus non-believers is not, is not congruent to what Jesus did. Sure. Yeah. So 
I mean, there's so much we could say. I actually would love to have you on again because it's clear that oh, I would happy, be happy to. This this we could go on for two hours, and if we had the time today, we could and we should. Um, I I would love to have you back because there's so much more to talk about. Um, we're just kind of pulling at the you know at the threads is just at the surface of some of this stuff. Um, but if people want to find your content, the conversations that you're having. Uh, with these whole communities of people that maybe we need to learn, we need to learn from, we need to listen to. Where where do people find you? Where do you want to send people today? Yeah, so the easiest place to find everything that I do is justinku.com, J-U-S-T-I-N-K-H-O-E.com. Or you can just search for my name uh, on YouTube. That's kind of where most of my things are hosted right now. So that's where I would go. And, and I would, in full disclosure, a lot of the contents that I'm putting out now is triggering for a lot of religious folk. Mm-hmm. It's like challenging for me as I'm sitting in the conversation. I'm talking to people who are Christian and believe in abortion, which is like, whoa, how do you do that? I'm talking to people who are literally pagan. I'm talking to people that are gay. I'm talking to people that vote differently. Like I realize the content that I'm creating is going to be minimally alienating, if not outright offensive Mm -hmm. to a lot of religious people. And it might even be that to me, but I still choose to do it because I value the relationships and minimally I actually get to learn about this other worldview and how the gospel can actually enter into this space a little bit more. Um, so just like full disclosure, the, the show is explicit by nature. Uh, there oftentimes is cursing. There oftentimes is a lot of sexual references. There oftentimes is even blasphemy literally in the show because I'm talking with yeah, sure. non-believers. Yeah. And so oftentimes I am. Um, so it's not the kind of show that you show at your youth group <laughs> or <laughs> listen in the car with your kids. Um, but if, if, if you get what I'm saying and if, and if you want to work towards a world where we can understand each other and value and love each other and maybe position uh, the church as uh, one of the meaningful relationships uh, in non-Christians' lives, in pagans' lives, in LGBTQ people's lives, like if that's something that is valuable to you, then I think you're going to get what I'm going after and I think the show is going to be valuable to you. Awesome. Justin, thank you so much for joining today. I'm going to put it in the show notes where people can link out to your channel, to your YouTube, to your website, all of the things that we've talked about. And I think that you've really challenged people today. So thanks so much for joining. Thank you for inviting me and creating space for it. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much, Justin Koo, for the conversation that we had. It's inspiring to get inside his brain and see how he thinks about loving and caring and listening to those around us. Next up on the podcast, we have Nachi Lazarus. He is a church marketing and digital engagement consultant from India. And we have so much to learn from the church in Asia and what they're doing to leverage digital tools. This is an episode you don't want to miss because we're looking at um, what is going on in a place where billions and billions of people live and how the church is rising through digital content to reach people in South and East Asia. So you don't want to miss this conversation with Nachi. It's going to be Uh, really interesting and some content you haven't heard anywhere else. Uh, You haven't yet. Why don't you find us on YouTube? We got tutorials. We got these podcasts. If you want to check out the video version and see the people that that we're talking to, then you can do that on YouTube. You can also get the tutorials that are just super practical content to help you communicate the best news in the world. Join us on the Facebook group as well. Check out all those links below. Thanks so much to Wycliffe College, this amazing institution, this seminary that I went to that has um, 
really impacted the way that I do life and ministry and evangelism in this digital world. And I want you to go to, go to wickliffcollegeca slash digital to find out more information about how they might be able to support you in your own leadership journey. Also, of course, compassion.ca slash gifts is a great place to go on Giving Tuesday and all through the month of December, frankly, all through the year, we've got gifts to give and we would love for you to see how you might want to get involved in all the work that Compassion is doing through the local church around the world to help vulnerable children. Check out those links below and we will see you next week with Nachi Lazarus. Thanks for listening to the Word Made Digital podcast with Joanna LaFleur. If you like this content, hit subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Rate it and share this episode with your friends. Head over to wordmadedigital.com for more free tools and helpful content for creatives and communicators. We love helping you communicate the best news in the world.